I played a lot of football. Wow. But I don't support any team. <laughs> Just look at news to see who is winning and losing. But for some reason, I feel good when Arsenal loses. <laughs> On 25th of May 2005, at the Atatak Stadium in Istanbul, Turkey, the world witnessed one of the biggest football upsets in history. This was the UEFA finals between Liverpool and AC Milan. Now you know why I put the disclaimer. Milan were regarded as favorites before the match. And they took the lead within the first minute through Captain Paolo Maldini. Milan striker Henan Crespo added two more goals before halftime to make it 3-0. In the second half, Liverpool launched a comeback and scored three goals in a dramatic six-minute spell to level the scores at 3-3. With goals from Steven Gerrard, Vladimir Smyser, and Xabi Alonso. The scores remained the same during extra time and a penalty shootout was required to decide the champions. The score was 3-2 to Liverpool when Andre Shevchenko's penalty was saved by Liverpool goalkeeper Jesse Tadek. Thus, Liverpool won their fifth European Cup, were awarded the trophy permanently, and claimed a multiple winner badge. <laughs> Liverpool's comeback gave rise to the final being known as the miracle of Istanbul yes, and is regarded as one of the greatest finals in the history of the tournament. People have come to call this the great comeback. And I'm here to submit to you that there is always a second half to the game. Yes, 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 yes. And that should give us great encouragement yes. that there is hope for everyone yes. so long as you don't quit or resign. This morning I want to encourage fellow pastors, want to encourage pastors' wives, disciples, and men and women because life beats us and we need hope. I want to talk about the great comeback. Luke 24, verse 13 to 35. Follow along as I read. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was when they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this? that you have with one another as you walk and as sad. Then the one whose name was Clopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And you have not known the things which happened here in these days? He said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he 
was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, all foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, nor that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is fast spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's pray this morning. Father God, by the blood of Jesus, we come before you, God. I want to commit this word into your hands. I pray that you may use it, God Almighty, to speak to men and women, encourage hearts and lives, Lord. Father, we need you. We need you to touch us. We need you to uplift our hearts and our spirits. Encourage us, God, to go back to our stations of labor with renewed strength and spirit. Cause an anointing upon this word, God, I pray, that you may cause it to accomplish what you've sent it to accomplish in and through our hearts to your glory. In the name of Jesus, that all God's people say, Amen. Amen. The great comeback. First, I want to talk about uh, discouragements of life. This word, uh, discouragement, means to deprive of courage or confidence. It also means uh, to dishearten. And in life, uh, we will come across situations and events that have the ability to crush us and bring discouragement to us. In this text, uh, this is after Jesus has been crucified. It's the third day. And uh, these two disciples are walking on the Emmaus Road. They have walked seven miles and they are discussing their frustration. Jesus has been arrested. He's been crucified. He has died. He's been buried. And to them, uh, it's like uh, everything is over. These men had been with Jesus three years. They had great hopes in him. They knew he was their deliverer. He was going to break the oppression of the Romans from their lives. Then they see him arrested. They see him being beaten. He's doing nothing. They see him crucified. They see him dying. And they see him buried. And the stone placed on the tomb. And the chapter is closed. Their hopes are totally dashed. 
It's over. This was just a hype of three years. It's over. Now it's after Jesus is buried. And they are on the Emmaus road. Jesus comes and starts to talk to them, but they did not know that it was him. Verse 15 and 16. So it was when they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Can I tell you, beloved, just because you are discouraged does not mean that Jesus has left you alone. Just because things are not working does not mean that God does not have pleasure in you. Their faith had become fractured. It had been fragmented and now they are frustrated. When the devil comes, he eats at your faith. He targets your faith. Bible says the devil appears before God. And God tells him, have you considered my servant Job? How faithful of a man he is. And the devil says, it's because you protected him. Give me permission and I will cause him to curse you. To curse you to your face. The devil says, allow me to target him. Target his faith. There are violent attacks that come to us. And we get to a place and we start seeing that bad decisions are a possibility. Maybe you're here, you're fighting and wrestling and feeling like it's worth nothing. You're laboring, you've been laboring for years. You hear people giving all these powerful reports, you're like, why not me? Why is it not working out for me? Maybe you receive serious and intense heats from the devil and you're wondering what to do next. Because how many know the devil hates us? Well, last year, after our conference, I started struggling when I'm driving. I'm like, I feel good in my eyes. So one time we had traveled to the rural area with my brother. And uh, night came while we were still there. We have to drive at night. And I started driving and after a few minutes, I'm not seeing. I stopped the car and told my brother, you're going to drive. I never told him what was happening. So I go to a place, I said, I need to go see a doctor. So I go to the hospital. I tell the doctor, I need to check my eyes. So they put me on machines. They want to check my eye pressure. And this doctor stopped and looked at me. And she said, you have a serious problem. I'm like, okay. She says, by now you should be blind. You're not supposed to be seen. I even wonder how you're seeing. And she says, right now, I want to send you to a different hospital. You need to go see a specialist immediately. So I called my wife and tell her, you know, I'm having a serious problem. And my wife starts panicking. So the next day, we go to this other hospital. 
They put me through further tests and they're checking my eye nerves and everything. When they checked me the first time, the pressure on my eyes was very high. When the pressure on the eyes goes high, it kills the vision nerves and you go blind. That's why people wake up one morning and they're blind. So when they checked my right eye, the pressure was at 35. The normal one is supposed to be 18 and below. The left one was at 32. And the doctors are panicking. So they go do all these tests, they check, they check, they check. The first thing they're doing, they want to see how the nerves, how much damage has been done to the nerves. This is an Indian doctor. I'm there with my wife, we bring all the, the results from the different tests and machines that gone through. And the doctor starts checking, he's looking at the nerves, the machine readings and everything. And he looks at me and he says, you, you are a lucky man. I ask him why. He says, you need to thank your God, thank your wife, thank your stars, thank everything. Your nerves are okay. Wow. Shortly after that, I start having a problem with my voice. Now many you know a preacher depends on his voice. <laughs> you know, I talk and my voice just gives up. One Sunday evening I'm preaching and towards the end of altar call, my voice just got lost. I'm just talking and all of a sudden, and it's gone. What's happening? I start going through Checkups and checkups and checkups. Take this medicine, take this medicine, take this, take this. So I go to a voice specialist. He looks at me and says, You know, you're getting to a place where I will have to tell you not to preach for six months. <laughs> and I looked at him and just smiled. He said, Don't know what you're saying. <laughs> six months. And all this is eating me, you know. What's happening? My wife is all packed, you know. This guy is about to go blind. Now the voice is going. What's going to happen to me? And the children. Well, listen, the devil hits us. The devil targets us. Maybe you've gone through a tragedy. All a traumatizing event, and you feel like this is over. You feel like it will never change for you. You feel like life has no meaning anymore. You feel like I don't think I want to continue with ministry anymore. I don't feel like I need to keep contending or believing anymore. Listen to me. The fact that you're still here and alive means that Jesus is still with you. It means that he still has a plan and a purpose for your life. These disciples on the mouse road are totally discouraged. They are feeling like, you know, this Jesus thing was a hype and it's over. It's just a dream that has come to an end. Let me secondly talk about what discouragement does. When your faith is frustrated, you become vulnerable. You can easily give up. 
The devil attacks you because he wants you to give up on your faith. He wants you to give up your faith. That's, he tells God, allow me to hit him. He's going to curse you. The devil thought that if Job lost everything, he would be discouraged and lose hope in God. And he will attack you. Because he wants you to lose your faith in God and destroy you. He will cause tragic events with the name of breaking your heart in order to make you vulnerable to his attacks. In December of 2016, I had a tragic event that made me struggle seriously to a point of considering quitting ministry. Everything in me, I was angry, I was bitter. I mean, no pastors also get bitter. And I started, no, do I really need to keep on in ministry? Do I need to keep doing this? And I was considering this in my mind. Just need to quit, go do something else, you know, just have my peace. And thank God I did. In the process of prayer, it finally dawned on me that the devil was targeting my ministry by bringing the frustration. And the moment I realized this, God encouraged me and I came out of the discouragement. The disciples of Jesus are totally frustrated and discouraged. They have no idea what to do next. Jesus comes and he starts to walk beside them to help them in their frustration and to encourage them. That's a powerful thing. Because the Bible says they didn't even know that it was Jesus. But he comes, he's walking with them, he's encouraging them, he's restoring hope to their lives, and they're not aware that it's Jesus. You know what that tells me? Many are the times he comes and walks with us to encourage us without our knowledge. Discouragement will make you lose all motivation. You start asking yourself questions. What's the point of trying anymore? What's the point of contending anymore? And now you get to a place where you will not even love God anymore. You get to a place where you cannot pray anymore like you used to. You cannot contend like you've been doing. You get to a place where you don't want to do anything. You don't want to fight anymore. Bible talks about Naaman. He was a Syrian general. He has leprosy. He comes looking for Elisha. He needs a miracle. When he got to Elisha's home, Elisha just sent his servant, told him, go tell that man to go to the Jordan dip himself seven times and he'll be healed. Elisha did not come to meet him as he expected. 
You know, in Naaman's mind, he's a great man. He expected Elisha to come out, oh, great Naaman, oh, general of the Syrian army, welcome to my home. None of that happened. He's frustrated. In fact, he's such I thought you were going to. How many times do we make the same statement in our frustrations? I thought by now I would be married, but I'm still single. I thought by now I would be driving a car, but I don't even own a bicycle. I thought by now I would be working a good job, but I'm still jobless. And frustration will always have a name to discourage you, to make you lose hope, and finally make you resign and be destroyed by the devil. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Powerful move of God. Fire comes from heaven, consumes the sacrifice and everything. People go, start shouting, the Lord, he is God. There is revival in the land. Elijah is the man of the hour. He's the hero. Somebody whispers a message to him from Jezebel. By this time tomorrow, you will be like one of them. You would think Elijah would go, what? In a few minutes, fire will consume you like it did the sacrifice. You wicked woman. Elijah doesn't go do that. He goes into a discouragement mode. Bible says he starts running non-stop. This is a man that called fire from heaven. Just because of a message, he doesn't even see the threat. And he starts running. Running and running and running. He's not even interested in life anymore. He comes under a tree and he says, Oh God, let me die. Why? Why do you want to die, Elijah? I'm not better than my fathers. I want to die. This is a man that has come from a great revival. God had to step in to refocus Elijah back. Let me talk about the great comeback. Back to our beginning story. By halftime, Milan supporters had already pre started preparing parties. They were waiting for the final whistle. How? This is not possible. Three mil, there's no way they're going to recover. Maybe they'll score a goal, but three, no way. They were already celebrating. But listen, beloved, there was a second half coming. There was a second half, and that is the game changer. Naaman, after his discouragement, goes to the river and receives healing. There was a difference in his situation. 
God said, let me just go. He could have decided to go back home. But he said, let me just go. And he received healing. See, the presence of Jesus can change and refresh you. These disciples, after everything was said and done, their eyes were opened and said, it was the Lord. No wonder we feel different. No wonder our, our spirit has changed. No wonder our hearts feel different. Because the presence of Jesus changed everything. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. 12 years of suffering. Physician after physician, nothing is happening. She's frustrated. Her condition gets worse. There's no healing. And maybe like this woman, you've given and given and things are not the way you expect them to be. Keep holding on. Don't lose heart. This woman says, I will go to Jesus and I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. She reaches out and touches the hem of the garment of Jesus and immediately got her healing. The presence of Jesus brought a change. Joseph was languishing in prison, totally forgotten. God starts to move. His name is mentioned before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I want to you bring that young man here. Joseph is gone. They shave him, they dress him, they bring him before Pharaoh. And by the end of it, he comes from prison to be the prime minister of Egypt in one day. If anyone had told Joseph by the end of the day today, you'll be parading on the king's horse, Joseph would have said, you are a dreamer. But it happens. Jesus goes to the home of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead, buried four days. This family is a friend to Jesus. The Bible says when Martha, the sister of Lazarus, saw Jesus, she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many times do we say the same words? Lord, if you had been here, those were Martha's words. Lord, if you really cared. Lord, if you are really concerned. But Jesus says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and life. Can I tell you, beloved, there is a second half to the game of life. Yes, and perhaps Jesus was the greatest comeback in history. Now people see him arrested. They see him sentenced. They see him flogged. They see him hung on that cross. They see him dying. They see him buried. It's like, it's over. You can imagine the devil and demons in hell. Yeah, we've won, we've conquered. We are the winners. It's over with Jesus. 
No more torment, no more oppression. No more casting us out from people. Now we can reign. And in the midst of their celebration, maybe they hear a knock on hell's door and say, someone open the door. And they open and maybe the devil collapsed. Boom. <laughs> what? Jesus, you're here. Yeah, I'm here. It's not over yet. Give me the keys. And by the time Jesus rises from the dead, he had all the victory that we need in our lives. Because there's always a second half to the game. He came to the disciples in the midst of their discouragements. He starts to explain the scriptures to them. Verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Something in them, when the word was fed to them and expounded to them, changed. The Christian life is by faith. Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. When he was giving them the bread, their eyes were opened and immediately everything changed. Everything in them became different. They went back to Jerusalem, totally excited and encouraged. How I wish that by the end of the conference tomorrow, pastors and wives and disciples will go home totally excited again about the things of God. Totally encouraged to put their hand back to the plow and continue doing the will of God. Because this is what Jesus can do for you and I. We don't need to lose hope. We can make it. Is ministry easy? No, it's hard. It's difficult. But it's not written that you will keep struggling all the years of your ministry. There is a second half coming. You may not be seeing the fruit that you want to see now, but there is a second half coming. You may not be seeing the revival that you want to see now, but there is a second half coming. Because Jesus is still on the throne. And Jesus is still at work. Job at the end of everything sees God, sees God moving, sees God working, sees God restoring him. Pastor Nana quoted this verse, Job 42, verse 5. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Beloved, a time is coming when God will move and you will say, I have seen God. When you will see an explosion in your ministry and look back and say, surely God has done it for me. This is nothing but the hand of God. Because God is going to astound you when he steps in in the second half. Amen. 
We have one of our leaders in Kenya, Pastor Dennis and his wife Imelda. They only had one child. And they did everything they could do for 10 years. No other child. They were desperate. The devil was tormenting Imelda. There are times, you know, her stomach would grow big and she would think she's pregnant and then it disappears. Boom. And people were mocking her. She would hear ladies in church not talking. You know, this one became bad. Her heart was broken. But after 10 years, God stepped in. Amen. They caught a second child. Amen. And in another one and a half years, they got a third one. How many know God can confuse you with his blessing? <laughs> now they are starting to grow old and they have all these toddlers they have to take care of. Because God will come. God will come through for you. God will move for you. I read about this couple in Malaysia. Married for so many years with no child. And they were desperate. Finally, the woman gets pregnant. And when she gave birth, it was nine babies. How many know when we pray, we are praying for one? <laughs> now nine and they get overwhelmed. What are we going to do with all this? Because when God decides to move, he moves. When God decides to work, he works. You know what that tells you and me? Keep waiting. Keep trusting. Don't lose hope. Wait on God. And in his due season, he will move for you. Don't judge life by the first half. Wait for the second half. Because that is what changes the game. Wait on God. There's always a second half to the game. How many believe that? Let's give the Lord praise. We've had 